to introduce ourselves a little bit here, and we will throughout uh, this morning as we, as we speak. Uh, this is my wife, Kim, and I'm Kurt, and a little bit, uh, Sydney will also join us to share a few things about her life. Um, but it's really good to be here, and I just wanted to tell you a little bit about uh, our background, and especially why we would be in Prince George. Um, my history with Prince George goes way back. Uh, my mother was raised in this town. My grandparents uh, lived here, uh, they worked here, and they're buried just down the road here. Um, and so I would come back while I was in college, university, and work here during the summers. So I did, uh, I did tree planting, I did comb picking, I worked for an industrial painting company, I played for Labatt Honda North soccer team every summer. And, uh, and through those years, and coming and visiting my grandparents, I developed a real love for PG. And uh, so this is what we come back to. My parents live up on the heart, uh, and so does my sister and her family. And uh, so Prince George has got a big place in our hearts. In fact, when I met Kim, uh, who was born and raised in Calgary, uh, I brought her out here where we got engaged. And so we were actually engaged not too far from PG up uh, around the, what was it called, the Barquet Ranch? Yeah, where I also worked, uh, silaging. So <clears throat> Prince George, special place for us. But this is the first time that we have ever been to Timbers. And so it's a great privilege. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. You guys are awesome already, I can tell. Um, and, uh, and just uh, the friendliness of, of your welcome and, uh, and meeting people as we're coming in, it's been great already. Um, so it's good to be back in Canada. Uh, we we uh, spent uh, seven, our last seven years have been in Spain. And prior to that, we were 10 years in Mexico. In fact, that's where our three kids were born. Um, and uh, we work uh, in what's called the Silk Region uh, of the world within the Christian and Missionary Alliance. So that's Europe and that extends into uh, Eastern Europe and then uh, down through the Arabian Peninsula. So that's the Silk Road and we are part of the Silk Road. Um, and to further introduce us, uh, who we are, um, these are our kids in the next slide. And guess where that photo was taken? Starbucks, no? Any guesses? Yeah, beside, yeah, it was a Tim Hortons. Where was that Tim Hortons, though? See, we, yeah. See, we were working very hard to get our kids acculturated back into Canada. They've been gone a while, and so this is one of the ways that we get them acculturated. But would you believe that this Tim Hortons is in Madrid? We now have 15 Tim Hortons in Madrid. Yeah, Tim Hortons is out to dominate the world, I think. But uh, not only that, but a couple of years ago, Costco came in. So we've pretty much lost all of our motivation to come back to Canada. Um, but we are here now. We wanted to see you guys. That's why we're back. But we also want to give you guys uh, thank you. And I'll just pass the mic on to Kim. 
First of all, I want to say thank you for being yourselves and for just welcoming us this morning. This morning for me was kind of one of those mornings where, you know, you wake up and things just aren't really clicking. You know, you're walking with a flip-flop and a high heel. You know, it just kind of feels like you're, you're off-center. But as soon as we came in, we were greeted and just made to feel part of the family. And I think that's the biggest thing that I want to say is thank you for being part of the family. You know, we can... We are in Spain and, um, you know, sometimes it feels a little bit lonely and you wonder, okay, so where in the world can I go where I'm not lonely? And you go into church and no matter where in the world you go, you're with family because of this common language that we have. We have this, this common savior. And to me, that's just miraculous that we come, show up on a Sunday morning and we're brothers and sisters. It's, it's amazing. So we just want to say thank you. Thank you for supporting the, um, the, the Alliance, for sending us out for um, your donations, because we are your hands and feet in Spain. And so we represent you, and thank you for giving. Yep. Thank you. And uh, just before we get going, uh, we loved the fact that the kids all sprinted out of here the moment that it was announced it was time for them to go um that was incredible uh and uh that to me says one of two things either the program back there is awesome or they knew we were speaking <laughs> so now is your chance to bolt before we get going just kidding no you stay here lock the doors uh, to set up the, uh, this morning, we would like to uh, bring in a passage, which will be the backdrop to what we share this morning. It's from Acts 17. So this is kind of a long passage, but this is one of my favorite passages in the entire Bible, and I get to read it. So if you have your phone, you can flip, flip it on and follow along with me, or I think it's going to be on, on the screen too. All right, Acts 17. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? I'm sure they used different language, actually. <laughs> Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. They took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the, Athenian, all the Athenians and foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you were ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. 
From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. And at that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. And among them was Dionysus, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. So our mission, and really it's the global ministry's mission statement for the Christian Missionary Alliance is to glorify God by developing indigenous movements of reproducing churches amongst least reached people groups. And we do that in Spain using five core values. And we're going to talk about these five core values uh, from our perspective. They all start with the letter P. Well, okay, there's, uh, there's five official P's and there's one unofficial P that I threw in. Um, so the first P, you're going to be tested on this afterwards, uh, is prayer. The second P is people. The third P is presence. The fourth is proclamation. The fifth, these are, these are the five official ones, is partnerships. And the unofficial P is finances. Okay, that was... You know how it works. You have to try to fix this, and, and uh, yeah, Spellcheck didn't like that one. Um, so let's break each of these core values down, and we're going to speak from our perspective through what we do in Spain. So the first core value was what? Prayer. That's right. Through prayer, we worship, we listen, we ask, and we follow God. The work of mission is birthed in prayer, sustained in prayer, and completed in prayer. And um, one of the ways that we do this is I put out every single week something that's called Space for God in English and SED in Spanish. SED is an, uh, is an acronym. Uh, Soledad en Dios is uh, uh, solitude in God. And it actually, when you put that acronym together, those three letters, S-E-D, it winds up spelling thirst as well in Spanish. So this is something that I send out every week. And basically what it is, it's, uh, it's a guide that can be used devotionally or in small groups, preferably in, in small groups. And uh, people are able to walk through Scripture. There's always a, a primary gospel passage. There's a, there's a time of preparation, a time of confession, a time of worship. Uh, a time of just being by yourself, listening to hear what God is saying to you that moment, that very hour while you're looking at this passage and you're reading this passage and reflecting on these passages. And then you come together again with this group of people that you're meeting with and you, you all share, what is God saying? 
What is God saying to me? Uh, what should I do now? And there are some reflective questions, and then we end with a, a blessing and a benediction, and everybody goes on their, on their way. Um, so I've been sending this out. It's uh, something that developed over a number of years. Uh, started in Mexico and is continuing on now in Spain. And so it's in English and in Spanish, and it goes out across the world. But this is a great way to help people enter into a conversational prayer time with the Lord. Uh, prayer is also integral uh, for Kim, who is an artist, and I, I'll let her introduce herself a little bit here as far as what she does. But uh, this is how her art begins. So I have this crazy ministry where I get to be um, involved with artists and just being a light to them and ministering to them, and I get to also paint. But um, so it's kind of a two-pronged approach for my ministry. It's being with people, but it's also what I paint that um, is really kind of important, right? Because it's like a, a visual gospel. So... Um, in order to really be sure that I'm painting what God wants me to paint, I have to pray. And the whole ministry, everything, I only started painting about 10 years ago. So um, what, how it came about, everything was just really through prayer. Um, it's a miracle that it, it has actually even happened. But I sit and I ask the Lord, what would you have me paint? And right now he's having me paint kind of a modern um, painting of Bible stories. So as I am painting, I'm painting, um, this last painting was of David. And so I'm, I'm painting and I'm praying through um, all the contacts that I have. And I'm praying for them. I'm praying for our family. I'm praying for you, our supporters here in Canada. And it's amazing to me that as I paint, if I'm not praying, I will invariably have to throw that painting in the trash. If I paint something that the Lord doesn't want me to paint, it just is like a stick figure. It's incredibly bad. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's it's definitely something that is born out of paint, out of prayer. And uh, we also need prayer from here. Uh, you cannot believe how often uh, we are able to sense when people are praying back home here in Canada. Um, usually comes in the middle of very difficult situations, uh, crises, uh, difficult decisions, uh, encounters that we're having as far as presenting the gospel, and all of a sudden we just get that uh, surge of peace just flooding our souls, and we know that in that moment somebody back here or groups of people back here in Canada are praying for us, and so thank you. Uh, for praying for international workers around the world, and uh, we want to be part of that. I just want to say, you know, too, just to tag on to what you were saying about that, um, there is actually, like Kurt said, a tangible feeling of when um, people start to pray, and it's about 4 o'clock in Spain when people here start to wake up. Um, and we just notice the difference right away. Um, so what you'll see later on, uh, we'll kind of explain this, but um, our ministry is kind of tough, especially with the artists, so um, there's a lot of um, oppression, I would say. And one of the things that we always ask people to pray for is protection because we have this constant onslaught of, of demonic forces on us. So at 4 o'clock, it's like this peace kind of comes over us and we can actually tangibly feel when people start praying. And that's because people are waking up here in Spain. 
So I in, in yeah in Canada, British Columbia to Spain, we have a nine hour time difference. So it's uh, nine hours ahead right now. It's late in the afternoon over there, or in into the evening actually. Um, so uh, if afterwards you would like, uh, we could jot down your email. If you want to look us up on on Facebook, it's under Peter's Madrid. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook. There we we post photos, and there are. Oh yes, you have to add us as a friend on Facebook before you get onto Peter's Madrid, uh, and we'd be happy to do that. And, uh, and, and have you join that group. Or uh, there is uh, periodic mailing uh, with prayer requests and some photos. It's very simple. And, uh, and that's our way of keeping people back here updated with, with the latest, what's happening there. So first prayer, uh, first prayer, first P is prayer. I gave it away, darn. Um, second P is, do you remember? Does it say it there? Mm, okay, you guys are sharp. Um, second P is people. And people without access to Jesus are our greatest priority. Uh, what this means is that all of our goals, all of our strategies, and our vision needs to be filtered through the desire to reach these least reached people groups with the good news that Jesus has uh, died for us and, has, and is giving us life. Uh, eternally. There is a high percentage of uh, Spaniards that will claim to be non-religious, but just like the Athenians that we read about, they are religious in every way. Um, I just found out this week, actually, that they are the fifth highest percentage country-wise of atheists in the world. And, and that's behind countries like uh, China, Hong Kong, Japan, uh, Czech Republic, uh, North Korea, I think is the other one. Uh, I can't remember exactly. But that is a, a high percentage. It has actually, along with Islam, it are the two fastest growing religions in Spain. Uh, but we know that even atheists are religious. Uh, they always claim they're not. But uh, they are religious because they operate from a collection of presuppositions. Uh, they're picking and choosing all the time what will form their worldviews. They're picking and choosing their belief system and their code of conduct to give purpose and meaning to our lives. We have to believe in something, right? And so the Stoics in Paul's day, we read about these guys, the Stoics, um, they would say, well, all we need to do is show high moral standards or virtue, and that's sufficient for, for happiness. We can be happy if we just show high moral standards, if we're just good people. Um, and today, we see this in the form of neo-Stoicism. It's something that's coming up again. And this philosophy, philosophy basically translates into, uh, we're inherently good people, we don't need God. Uh, the Epicureans, they were a little bit different uh, in that they pursued what many people today pursue, and that is pleasure, and especially pleasure as a means of escaping fears or pain. Um, the Epicureans um, are similar to the people today, similar to us today, in that we don't have to look much further than social media to see that pleasure is considered a noble pursuit. Uh, in our own day and age. 
So the stoic value uh, that just being a good person will make you happy and the Epicurean value of medicating pain and fear with pleasurable pursuits, whatever they may be, are being played out today and here in Canada, in Prince George, and of course around uh, the world. Um, so, where are we? Oh, okay, yeah, and we, and we see this every day in Spain, so I need to give this back to you. <laughs> so, the, the artists that I work with, this is really, really apparent. Um, they are pretty hostile to anybody who says they're a Christian, and um, they do self-medicate. I mean, they are definitely in it for pleasure, for success. Um, it's money is a big god among artists, and I see this every single day. They um, initially, when I came in and started to uh, to meet people, they called me the freak because I actually had faith in God, and that was to them ludicrous. So it is definitely something that. Um, that we see. And so when I read that Acts 17 passage, I go, oh yeah, that there's nothing new. People do not change. And we still see that those same patterns happening over and over, especially with, with artists. So these are people who would never darken the doors of a traditional church. And they are our highest priority. And just as it was with Paul, some of them sneer at our message. They make fun of us. They ridicule us. But others, and this is always our prayer, but others say, we want to hear you again on this subject. So, getting to our third P, which is presence. The presence of Christ is most evident through healthy, growing, intentional, and fully engaged lives. People are our greatest resource. In general, we find that our Spanish friends are resistant to hearing verbal proclamations of the gospel. Um, and so we don't really advance very far if we're attempting to out-argue them. These are highly educated people. Uh, they've studied philosophy. They've studied history. They've studied religion. Uh, and so it's very difficult to out-argue them. And in fact, we are such a minority there in Spain that we're considered part of a secta or a sect or a cult and we're lumped in with people, other groups like uh, the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, there's also this been there, done that attitude. Uh, oh, you guys are coming with your quaint little religion. That's great. We used to do that. Uh, we've moved beyond that. We've been enlightened and uh, we've been there, done that. Uh, Spain is now, this is what I've, I've been finding, is that Spain is now so postmodern. It's beyond postmodern. It's pre-Christian. And by the way, I think that Canada is heading in this direction. And we're shifting away from being a pluralist society where uh, all perspectives, faith and non-faith, will have a place at the table when we enter into discussions. We're moving from that, from a pluralist uh, society to a secularist where non-faith is privileged over faith. And I'm sure that you're seeing that uh, uh, in different areas that, uh, that you live and move in here in Canada. Uh, and as, as society drifts away from biblical values, such as, you know, the truth that we understand through Scripture, we're left with really very little common vocabulary for communicating whether truth 
even exists or not? Uh, what is ethical? Uh, what is good? What is bad? When you're talking to people who don't have that biblical framework, it's very difficult to even say what sin is and what love means. And it can be really frustrating, but we know that God is not frustrated by this. And we shouldn't see this kind of difficulty as a barrier to evangelism and presenting the gospel, but we should see it at more as the place where we evangelize and present the gospel of Christ. So if verbal arguments and uh, just being more enlightened than the people that we are talking to are not really the solution to breaking through the negative attitudes towards Christianity, then the good news of Christ must be proclaimed through something else, and that something else has to be presence. Um, Spaniards always tell us, we're watching you, and they are. They know that we're from outside, uh, and they're very curious about how we live our lives. The walls in Spain are very thin. We live in a kind of a row house, townhouse kind of situation where we have neighbors on either side. And I can almost tell you what they're eating for uh, lunch, uh, and I can tell you what their bathroom habits are as well. Uh, you can hear everything through these walls. So they know exactly um, how we're living, and uh, the neighbors across in the apartment building they watch through their windows. I see them. They, they, they act like they're not watching, but they are watching. And the Spaniards themselves have confirmed that they are watching us. And uh, so we have to be very careful. So I just wanted to kind of tell you how we have um, discovered how to be the presence in people's lives, the presence, the hands and feet of Jesus. And I wanted to show you a couple of pictures of my friends. The first one is of my friend Annabelle. And she is um, such a beautiful soul. I met her in Italy at a class, actually. And uh, she and I just immediately clicked, and we started walking together. And um, she was, she is tattooed uh, basically from her chin to her ankles in uh, Buddhist tattoos. And she has claimed that she is um, um, a Buddhist, even though she doesn't practice, she really likes Buddhism. In fact, our first Christmas card from her was a little picture of Buddha, which was kind of ironic. But um, she and I have started to talk, and over the last five years, um, I have been able to be there for her during some of her most difficult times. Um, I was with her when she got the call that her mom was dying. And I was with her after her mom died and just holding her. In fact, she was sitting on my lap, a grown woman sitting on my lap just weeping um, and not knowing how to deal with grief. When you don't have Jesus, you know, I think we often forget what it is like to live without God because even something like grief just becomes overwhelming and there is no place to start or end for grief. Um, and then just recently in this spring, I was able to be with her when her husband left her, which is a ugh, horrible situation, but um, been able to text messages back and forth and starting to talk more about God. We've had lots of long train rides together where I will tell her what the scriptures say. And she says, oh, I just love that. That's going to be my mantra for today. <laughs> so she just has come to... Uh, appreciate scripture. She's come to say that she now has a crush on Jesus. So um, just been able to pray for her. Now she's asking for prayer. 
And I pray blessings over her. And I've been able to actually physically lay hands on her and pray over her. And she wants it. And this week, I got a text from her that she went to church. So, yeah. So that's how it happens. That's, you know, somebody who is completely uh, as far away from God as possible can come to the Lord. You know, there wasn't necessarily the, the prayer of salvation that was prayed, but she, you know, walking with her step by step, the Lord has allowed that she um, is coming to him. Um, the next slide, you'll see my friend Sandro and me, and he and I met at a class where I was actually translating for a friend of mine who was giving the class. And um, in that class, and this goes back to what we were saying about our need for, for prayer of protection, um, I was translating, and the, the, the friend of mine who was giving the class during a break just started, he knows that I'm a Christian, and he started asking me questions about Christianity and um, started to mock me in front of the class. And so it was during the break, and then all the students came back in, and they heard him, and he was getting angrier and angrier, and he was starting to really be very unkind to me. And um, as I was sitting there and just kind of feeling kind of nervous and overwhelmed by all the things that he was saying, I just really felt the Lord saying, just be kind. You know, God can defend himself, be ready for an answer for I the questions that come, but just be kind. So my response is, you know, I just tried to be very gracious and kind. And, and uh, he went on for about 20 minutes. It's a very long 20 minutes, being so stupid to, to believe in God. And um, at the end of those 20 minutes, Sandro stood up and he said, you know, I think we should probably get back to painting. And, and so it kind of diffused the situation and, and we went back to the class. Anyway, after that day... Sandro came up to me and he said, I just want to thank you for being so kind. And he says, I want to know why you were able to be kind in a situation like that. And we started talking and he's become one of my closest friends. He is a gay married man. He lives in Barcelona. And we have had the opportunity to um, exhibit together in some shows. Uh, it's a very difficult um, friendship in some ways. His genre of art is very difficult. It is homoerotic art. So um, he often comments on the differences between my art, which is biblical stories, and his art, which is not. And um, he's always kind of comparing the two messages. And, you know, we're showing together in some shows, so he's seeing the difference. And he started to actually text me and say, you know, I know this isn't what you like to see, but I wouldn't mind some tips, or I wouldn't mind you taking a look at this and telling me what you think. And I'll say, do you want a technical opinion or an ethical opinion? <laughs> and he always goes with technical so far. But I've been able to walk with him, and I am the only Christian in his life, and I know this because he tells me this all the time. He says he's a recovering Catholic, so <laughs> he... Um, he has a knowledge of Bible stories. So he was the only one who knew when I had painted a painting of Daniel. He's, he wrote me right away, and he said, that's Daniel. I know that story. So he knows the Bible. He knows the stories. He has it somewhere locked in his head. And uh, he has started to trust me. He has actually invited me into his home 
and he has invited Kurt into his home with his husband, and he's gradually started to, to trust me more and more. Now I've known him for a few years, and um, we are able to talk about God. And when we come back to Canada, he's actually Canadian too, which is amazing. He says, what are you doing in Canada? And I can say, I'm speaking in churches on how spirituality and art can coexist. And I'm able to tell him, you know, I'm talking about God and my relationship with God. So this is the presence. This, I'm sorry, I'm really wordy this morning. But <laughs> this is how, how we are representing you as the hands and feet of Jesus. And it's because of your prayers that we're able to sustain this kind of ministry. It's interesting, I was having lunch with a group of these artists, and Kim and Sandra was there, and uh, Sandra turns and he says to me, he says, I just don't know if there's a place for somebody like me in church. Think about that for a moment. Think about that. I don't know if there's a place for someone like me in church. Church should be a place where people like Sandro can just as we were welcomed this morning into this place, would be welcomed. Sure, people come in with all sorts of baggage. People come in with all sorts of, uh, of things that, uh, that we wish they didn't have accompanying them. But when you need a doctor, it's great to be in a hospital, isn't it? And this should be that place where somebody like Sandro can say, you know what, I feel welcome there. I know they probably don't agree with my lifestyle and the way I do things, but I feel welcome there. And that is this right here. This would be the place to love him, to show him love. Uh, and, and if we are shutting people out at the door because of the things that they do, then we may never get a chance to express God's love to them so that they can see what genuine love really means and what the love of the Father is. So our daughter, Sydney, she's 17, just graduated from uh, high school back in Spain, uh, is going to share a little bit about her MK life. This was her idea. Uh, we didn't say, no, uh, we're not the kind of parents that force their kids to jump up on, on the platform with them as they're speaking, but uh, this was her idea, and so I'm going to hand the mic over to her. I am very cold. This is a bit of an adjustment for me, coming from Spain to Canada, where there's a bit of a climate difference. Um, so I've been on the field almost 18 years now. Um, I've had to work with these two for the entirety of that time. Um, <laughs> but what I get to do as an MK is I get to help out on the field, which is, I feel, something that not a lot of people know. But it's definitely a blessing and a great opportunity for me. And my brothers get to help out too. They're not here today, but they get to help out too, believe me. Um, so one of the things that I do is childcare. Childcare is really important, especially with conferences, with people who have little kids and there's not necessarily a children's program. Um, so I get to go sit with little kids and sing little um, Bible songs and tell them little Bible stories and draw and hang out with them. But I also get to look after artists' kid. Um, so one of mom's um, artist friends, they have a little four-year-old, and she is adorable. Um, but they, they're not Christians, and so if mom wants to minister to the artist and her husband, 
then my brothers and I, we volunteer to look after their little daughter. And she's not Christian either. She's very influenced by her parents. But we get to be the presence, like you said, just demonstrate love and light for them. Um, if we go to the next slide. I also get to speak at conferences and um, speak in churches with my parents. Um, this is also something I volunteer for. It's not something that they force me to do. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's good for me. We told her to say that. Yes. I'm being paid. No. <laughs> No, but it's it's good for me to be able to feel comfortable enough with my brothers and sisters in Christ to be able to speak to them. Um, another thing that I get to do, I just started doing it this last semester of school, is I started my own ministry working with um, the barber who cuts my family's hair, his kids, um, because they don't speak a lot of English, and they go to a bilingual school, and they needed some help with English. Um, so one of the things that I get to do is I get to teach English to a very, very secular family um, where the kids fight a lot, and they fight with me a lot. <laughs> it's, a, it's a difficult ministry, but it's well worth it when I can show the parents that their fighting does not make me angry. I don't lash out with the kids. Um, and I can just sit there and patiently, you know, love on them and be a light to them. Thanks, Sidi. Uh, in a few minutes, Sydney will also be sharing a little bit about what she will be doing this upcoming year, which is also kind of uh, fascinating. Uh, we're going to move on to the, uh, the fourth P, which is proclamation. Uh, the, and the goal here is to communicate the gospel uh, with Holy Spirit power, both in life and in word. Um, and we will do anything short of sin to help people know and follow Jesus. And this conviction of doing anything short of sin sometimes takes us into some very interesting places. Uh, for example, uh, one of Kim's artist friends, her name is Carmen, and she is outstanding uh, in, in her field of art and uh, well-known throughout Spain and other places in the world, um, Just a, but a very eccentric person. And most artists are, I would say. Um, yeah. <laughs> and um, not looking at anybody close to me here. Um, and, uh, but they're unique, special people. Uh, better way of putting it. And... Uh, Carmen uh, said to Kim one day, well, I would like to frame this painting that you've done that you're sending into a show. Uh, be, uh, I'll frame it for you, and um, you can drop it off at my studio, and somebody will come and pick it up and take it to the show. So she said, when you come, uh, I will meet you outside. So we arrive at her building. She, said she, lives, she lives in this huge building block. And uh, she came down from her apartment, met us on the street. She said, Don't talk, just be really quiet. We had heard about this studio of hers. She called it Narnia. We'd never seen it, didn't know much about it. And, uh, and so we followed her. She opened the, the large garage door for the building uh, with her remote. And we walked past a bunch of vehicles. And the whole time, she's looking around, making sure it seemed like that nobody was watching us. Uh, that she was bringing in guests through the garage. And then we stepped through a door into a long hallway 
that had several doors down the hallway. And these were storage units for people living in the building. So they could rent a storage unit and, or buy their storage unit, and they had it there. So she had purchased her storage unit, um, and that's what she was leading us into. So as she opened the door, she did one last check down the hallway, make sure nobody was watching, and just pushed us all into this, uh, pushed both Kim and I into, into this little storage unit. And it, I mean, it was the size of a broom closet. There was nothing in there to indicate that this was a studio. Uh, boxes, odds and ends, paraphernalia, it was just kind of bizarre. Just nothing, I thought, this is really strange. But there was a wardrobe at the very back of this little unit. And she opens the doors to the wardrobe, and there's a curtain back there, parts the curtain, and we step into this. Uh, an underground studio basically. How did she get this studio? Well, being Carmen, uh, who hears voices, felt the need to see what was behind the wall of her storage unit. So she took up a little pick and knocked a hole through the wall and saw this huge open space behind the elevator shafts. And she said, well, I could use this. I don't have enough room in my apartment for a big studio, but this is huge. So she knocked the rest of the, the uh, like a doorway into the wall out, and she laid some tile down there. She, she poured some concrete. Uh, she tapped into the building's electricity. Um, and there's absolutely no ventilation down there, which probably explains a lot about Carmen. Um, but every time that we would hear the elevator doors open and people would get in, we'd, she'd look at us and just tell us to be quiet and we'd just stand there for a moment until the elevator left and then we could resume conversation, but in hushed tones the whole time. So um, go, go back to that first slide. This is the, the back of Carmen's head there. And do you notice there are a couple of skulls up there on the shelf? Um, uh, oh, and also, um, before I say that, off to the right, there is a, a book cover, and that's Carmen on that book cover. And it's uh, from a competition in the United States that Kim actually uh, facilitated Carmen to be able to get into. Uh, so there's a deep connection there with Carmen. Uh, back to the two skulls. Uh, one skull is a skull of a, of a young girl. Uh, I don't remember how old, but uh, yeah, she, she uh, Carmen knew somebody in a pathology lab close by, and they had this skull of a, of, a, of a little girl with blunt force trauma to the head. And they thought, well, Carmen will like this. She can use it as one of her props for her painting. So they gifted this skull to, to Carmen. The other skull comes from an artist friend who was, for whatever reason, digging in his backyard there in Spain. Or, I'm sorry, the dog was digging. That's what it was. The dog was digging in the backyard and came across this human skeleton. Uh, rather than notify the authorities, uh, this artist thought, well, Carmen's going to love this. And so uh, Carmen took it, and they didn't want to waste a good skeleton and a, and a, and a good skull. Uh, so... Carmen has these two skulls there, and she talks to these skulls during the day. 
and she believes that she communes with their spirits and that they are in communication with her. So um, these are the people that we are working with. Um, and uh, some of the people of Athens came to Paul and said stuff like, uh, may we know what this teaching is that you are presenting. So proclamation is talking about these strange ideas, right? Like Paul said, um, you know, the people of Athens said, well, what are these strange ideas that, that we're hearing? We want to know more. And so that is proclamation, especially in the artist community. So the strange ideas that they often comment to us about are, you know, what, what I paint about. You know, why would I paint biblical stuff, right? Um, the fact that I've been married to one person for this long and still like him. That's just so ridiculous. Um, the, the concept of marriage is very fluid um, among my friends. And the fact that I actually enjoy my children, that we're friends, that we, we love to spend time together, that we dedicate 24 hours every single week together, Friday night, 5 o'clock, to Saturday night, 5 o'clock, and that that is our sacred family time. And they just think that's bizarre. And so our proclamation is, this is a great quote, how we live together may be the greatest sermon that we preach. So how we are as a family, how we relate to each other as believers, that's the light in the dark place. And honestly, that is a really fun thing to live. That is the greatest part about ministry is just being able to love people. Love people and people see the love, and you're loving people by loving people. It's just, it's wonderful. That's probably my, my favorite thing about ministry. Yeah, again, we are being watched all the time. Uh, the fifth, fifth slide, uh, or fifth P, I should say, is, is partnership. And we are committed to working with others to accomplish the task. Uh, we can't do it alone. And if we try, we really won't last very long. So that's why we work together with others, uh, people of like-minded mission, message, uh, uh, passion, and purpose. And we have uh, a lot of unique partnerships. Um, we work with other organizations. We have short-term teams come in. Uh, one of the things that I do is take people up to the Camino de Santiago, the St. James Way. It's an old ancient pilgrimage route across northern Spain. And I take people up there on uh, non-static retreats. So rather than sitting in a building in a conference room looking out the window wishing you were out there instead of sitting um, at the buffet table or in, in chairs, uh, we are out there on the Camino. And every day uh, we walk maybe 20 kilometers, and uh, we share life together. We uh, talk to other people along the way about Jesus. We build community. We build, uh, it's team building. It's a, it's a number of things. I love doing that. Um, another fun way that uh, we've been able to get involved and do other things is uh, through International Media Ministries, which is an organization that we have some contacts with, uh, people that we know within that organization. And uh, one of the producers of a of something called the Heritage Project, uh, which is an eight-part television series from the first five centuries after Christ walked the earth. Talk about RPGs. Oh yeah. Oh uh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That other picture there was of uh, a group that came to visit us, and they were actually from here, from from Prince George. Um, anyway, uh, believe it or not, this is me. 
Um, and uh, what happened was I got to be part of this eight-part television series from the five centuries that Christ walked on the earth. Um, and these are stories of people like Cyprian and Tertullian and Perpetua. And these are really people that are incredible reminders to the people that live in, in North Africa of their Christian roots. And so these powerful faith-based uh, stories are going to be used to bring the message of hope throughout North Africa uh, to an estimated audience of about 20 million people. I'm not a serious actor or anything. I, they, uh, because we know people, they invited me to, to be one of the uh, extras. So I was a Roman soldier for a little while, and then I became a vandal. Um, in some other scenes. And so this is me being a vandal. Um, also, we've had opportunities to work uh, with another film company, uh, same producer, and they asked him to do a painting for them. That's all I was going to say about it. But <laughs> yeah, so um, we there is um, a Christian film company that is uh, working to bring biblical stories into the modern era to also, you know, like like I'm doing for paintings, but they're doing it um, in film. So she's just uh, coming out with a Cain and Abel story right now, which is pretty cool. But um, this one was a film that was produced, written, and directed by the same lady to bring awareness to trafficked women uh, throughout Europe. And Spain, I don't know if you know, but it's a real hub for trafficking women especially into prostitution and so they come from all all parts of Europe but mostly from North Africa I don't know if you know but the bottom tip of Spain is only 50 kilometers away from Africa so it's a, a natural um, transit point for trafficking women so I was able to help her in, in promoting this film and getting awareness out there of what actually happens throughout Europe um, it's just been incredible. And Sydney has stuff to say. Yes. So now I'm going to tell you about what's coming up for me this year. Um, I did graduate, thankfully, this year. <laughs> um, so a lot of my friends, as grade 12 students do, um, had already applied for college, already knew what they were going to do in the coming years. And I still had no idea. And I had teachers asking me, do you know what you're going to do the next year? And I'm like, I don't know what I want to study, so I guess I'm doing a gap year. Um, so I decided to do a gap year. And after seeing a lot of my older friends who did gap years and they ended up not doing anything and regretting it, I knew that I needed to work. But I didn't have a job, so I thought, oh, maybe I'll teach some more English. Um, maybe I'll intern for mom. But really, I had no set plan. But one of our close friends, he came up to me, and he said in the last couple of weeks of school, he said, hey, um, I hear you're looking for a job. I said, yes. And he said, well, we had this girl who was going to come and fill this position in our mission, and she ended up bailing at the last minute. So if you want the job, I can send you a, a job description, and I can send you um, a day to do an interview. So we did an interview and I got the job. And what the job is, is I'm diving into full-time ministry um, as a volunteer where I will be working with refugees, persecuted peoples, and um, trafficked women um, who come from different countries of war and of religious prosecution. Um, and we will be providing them with sustainable jobs 
um, and the means to adapt into the Spanish um, environment because Spain is such a hub for refugees. So what I will be doing as my contribution to the team is I will be events planning and organizing as well as translating and working with both agricultural ministry and um, culinary ministry. So what Sydney didn't say, and because I'm her mom, I'm just going to jump in and say this, is that she actually had a lot of stress about what she was supposed to do because she was really feeling the Lord asking her to take a gap year. So she prayed basically the entire year and, you know, stood up to make the choice to be the only person in her entire grade to not go on to college. But she prayed and the Lord answered. And it's the job that she's being offered is just so suited to her. We're really excited for her. But the other thing she didn't say, and I'll say it for you, is that um, the alliance, when your kids turn 18, they um, assume that they will be going off of allowance and that they won't be living at home anymore. Um, so she has to raise her own support to go out. And she has to raise it in 10 weeks total. So she has five weeks left, and she's at 40, 47% raised. So the Lord has really, really been faithful to, to support your, your financial needs to provide for you. But if you want to talk to her later about getting on her, her Facebook group to pray for her, to see what adventures she's up to, and there are a lot in store for her, I can tell you. The people who are employing her happen to be our good friends that we partner with, too, so we know that she's in for quite a ride. Um, and just speak to her afterwards. She would love to have you pray for her and, and give. Thanks, Sydney. Um, and we've reached the final P, P um, which is? What was it? Finances. That's right. Okay, so very quickly, um, uh, continue giving to the Global Advance Fund. Uh, this is how international workers with the Christian and Missionary Alliance are supported. This is uh, how basically our allowances, our cost of living allowances are, are, are paid, uh, schooling for, uh, and then the, the fund below, the, the work fund, and we Disguise our name a little bit because of the people that we work with. They do look us up. Uh, they Google us. So that's why we do that. Um, and the work fund is just basically uh, ministry. So when we need art supplies, when we need uh, uh, to meet people, I, I do teaching, and so I have to travel sometimes around Spain. So that's all covered through the work fund, not through the, the general fund. Uh, so that's just a quick explanation of that. And finally, uh, if you would like, on the next slide, we see, uh, uh, yeah, just ways you can follow Kim and, and her journey in art. And so through Facebook at Kim Peters Art, through Instagram at uh, Kim Peters, and KimPeters.com is her website. So feel free to, to take a look at that. And of course, and to stay in touch, yeah. Uh, Kim's very good about uh, responding uh, to people who contact her and communicate with her, and we do appreciate your prayers. So, in closing, let's, uh, let's just bow our heads, and uh, as we reflect on uh, what's been shared this morning, uh, we know that we're coming at it from our perspective of working in Spain, but there are definitely things that I'm sure that God has uh, pointed out 
in your own lives as far as how this passage from, from Acts relates to your life and how even what we've shared uh, relates to you here and now. Um, and as we reflect, um, we think about the Apostle Paul and how he communicated from a point of reference familiar to his audience. That altar that he referred to, the one that was dedicated to the unknown God. And if we're ever, ever going to respond to a shifting world, we need to be skilled in understanding what the current state of our culture is and what we're dealing with. What are the gods of the people that you know? What are the gods of the people that, uh, of the people that you are working with or that you're studying with? Uh, what do you see around you that is provoking your spirit to speak out just as Paul did in Athens? And here's the difficult question. Are you willing to be foolish for the sake of the gospel? Are you prepared to demonstrate that you are unconditionally and radically committed to your beliefs? So if we call ourselves Christians, we should be prepared to answer questions about our own faith, not only with words, but through the way that we live. And so, may we become less confident in strategies, in models, in programs, in systems, these things of the past, and just humble ourselves and ask God, how can I be your hands and feet? How can I be representative of your presence in my life? here amongst the people that I know. And so our prayer, and the one we should all have, I think, is that those who chase after false gods would seek the one true God and perhaps reach out to him and find him, because he's not far away from any of us. We praise you, O God, and give you honor and glory, for in you we live, in you we move, and in you we have our being. And this is where it all begins. Amen.